There's no problem too big or small, no issue too hot or cold, and no subject these gentlemen won't talk about. Let's head into the lab to see what they're working to figure out today. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grumbacher, and we've got a great show for you coming up. This week, Centauri and I were joined by Dr. G, Dr. Mark Goulston, CEO of the Goulston Group, an author, blogger, podcaster, radio host, as well as a frequent contributor to the Harvard Business Review and Huffington Post. I had reached out to Dr. G several months back about coming on the podcast to talk about school shootings, and sadly, between that time and now, the Las Vegas shooting took place. We didn't get into the Second Amendment or gun control. Rather, we focused our conversation on trying to get to the root of the problem that causes horrible violence. Dr. G also gave some invaluable tactics for alleviating conflict in our day-to-day lives. You can find out more about Mark and what he's working on at markgoulston.com, which is M-A-R-K-G-O-U-L-S-T-O-N.com. His podcast is called Prison Letters. And you can also find him uh, through various social media channels, which are listed in the show notes. I definitely encourage you to check it out. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review. And as always, feel free to share us on social media. That's enough about that. Let's go. Let's get into it and get down to it. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grombacher. Joining me as always is Centauri Minor. Hello, folks. Helping us move from awareness to action today is Dr. G, better known as Dr. Mark Goulston, the CEO of the Goulston Group. Dr. G, how are you, sir? I'm fine today, although it seems if you do a 360, you just see tragedy and sadness and human nature acting up and people acting up. And it's, uh, As I get older, it affects me more. I, uh, I don't know. Uh, rather than becoming numb to it, it... Uh, it Deeply saddens me uh, almost every day, and yet I and yet I rubberneck to see what's happening to stay abreast of it. Why do you think that that you are becoming more and more saddened by it as opposed to the past? Well, I think um, I, I have a personal mission uh, in the world. Uh, I and I have a book called Just Listen which I'm humbled by the success of it. It went on to become the top book I'm listening in the world. And uh, in the next few days, I'm going to Moscow to train members of the Russian Federation on how to listen and how to be more empathic to create more uh, cooperation and collaboration within, within their organization. I'm not going to teach them negotiation. And my personal mission is healing the world one conversation at a time because I, I, wherever I look, I see disconnects. I see people uh, not really relating to each other. I see people kind of addicted to excitement and missing out on joy. I see people uh, not really being that intimate, but people are addicted to being intense. If it's intense and you're sharing something that's intense and that's fun, that's fine. And all these things affect me. So uh, probably because uh, you know, I was a therapist and a psychiatrist for many years. And what I saw was the inner destruction between people in their relationships and the inner destruction within people with themselves. And so I've always been an interventionist. I've always 
stepped into the fray to prevent people from destroying relationships and destroying themselves. So maybe that gives you a little background about when I look out in the world and why it bothers me. Well, certainly, I, I think that giving somebody your 100% undivided attention is one of the nicest and best gifts that you can give to somebody and really listen um, and being present and mindful in as many in, in, in all your interactions. So I, I definitely agree with you and it's probably really needed in, in, in today's society. Um, why do mass shootings take place? <laughs> why do mass shootings take place? Well, um, there's all kinds of reasons. I, I, I think, uh, I think there's been, um, the, uh, almost the extinction of things like tenderness, patience with each other, uh, all of those things cause you to actually think about the other person. And I think it's been replaced by sort of impatience, reactivity, and, and I think what happens is uh, people don't pause to think. People don't pause to reflect. People don't pause to consider the consequences of their actions. And I think part of it is because there seems to be so much more relief when you act on your actions uh, because it just gets stuff off your chest, which is often very destructive to you and other people. And then you have the regrets afterwards. And I think it seems to be moving in that direction. And uh, uh, also I think empathy is on the wane. I think to actually pause Put yourself in the other person's position and consider it. Uh, I'm seeing less and less of that. And empathy is the greatest deterrent to uh, to violence against others. That's a, uh, a co-author of mine once coined, coined the uh, saying: "If you uh, you can't step on another person's toes if you're walking in their shoes." Hmm. And, and I think there seems to be uh, uh, less, less of a focus on, on uh, really understanding where people are coming from. In fact, when I train people on empathy in the world, uh, you, I don't think you can be empathic unless you personally experience someone being empathic with you and having it made a profound difference in your life. And so often in my trainings, uh, there'll be an exercise where I ask people, um, maybe I'll try that with you, George. Can you think of a person uh, who was there when you went through a, a real downtime and wouldn't let you fail and was steadfast? Uh, and uh, has anyone come to mind? Well, my mom comes to mind immediately. Incident. I mean, you know, look, the more personal uh, things are often, you know, that works well in podcasts because people lean into something that feels real and un, uh, unscripted. So, to the extent that you can share something, can you share a time when I really, you know, I remember a time when such and such and such and such, and this is what my mom said or did. And I think it made a difference. Well, I can remember back when, I, I don't remember if it was seventh or eighth grade, um, and 
I was struggling academically with uh, with with one class in particular, and um, I think it sort of had me at 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 a crossroads of not knowing if I was actually capable of of doing the coursework, and and she, uh, as always. Um, Definitely stuck with me and helped me work with the uh, with the teacher and um, helped help help me complete the class and I think I eventually got a B in it. So, awesome. can you remember ever saying to her, you know, Mom, you know, I, I, you know, I'm feeling stupid. This is frustrating. It's not. It doesn't seem. I don't seem to be getting that. Can you remember conversations like that in which she just was steadfast in her belief in you and
and he said, Mark, this is Mac. Got a letter here. You better get in there. I got a letter here from the deep. So I go in to see Mac, and he says, Mark, read this letter. So I read the letter. It's a letter from the dean of the school, and it says, I met with Mr. Goulston, suggested an alternate career, perhaps the cello. I'm advising the uh, promotions committee that he be asked to withdraw. So they couldn't kick me out because I was passing. And I, uh, George, I hit a low point and, um, and I was a little bit confused and I said to uh, Mac, I said, what does this mean? He said, Mac, you've been kicked out. And it was my good fortune that, you know, I wasn't cynical or sarcastic because, which is a way I could be at that time in my life. You know, so I was past that. And I didn't go pathetic, what am I going to do? It was like a gunshot wound. And I know what a gunshot wound feels like because I had a perforated colon about 10 years ago. And, um, and when he said that to me, I just, all the air went out of me. And I felt something on my cheek and I thought it was blood. And I kept wiping it and it was tears. And he looked at me. So are you tracking with me, George? Yes, sir. And he looked at me. So imagine you come from a background where you feel you're only worth what you can do, and you feel inside you can't do anything. And he says this to me, George. He says, Mac, uh, uh, you didn't screw up because you're passing everything, but you are screwed up. Mm. But if you get unscrewed up, I think the school would one day be glad they gave you a second chance. So what happens is I start to cry because he's giving me this kindness. I don't even know what it is. And then he says, Mark, uh, and even if you don't get unscrewed up, even if you don't become a doctor, even if you don't do anything with the rest of your life, I would be proud to know you because you have goodness in you, and you have no idea how much the world needs that goodness, and you won't know it till you're 35, but you have to make it till you're 35, and you deserve to be on this planet, and you're going to let me help you. Hmm. So I don't know if you can picture that, and I apologize for maybe this being not the same tone that you have in some of the podcasts. But something just changed. It's like he reached in, and I think what happened is I, I fell apart safely. And he went to bat for me. He had to stand up to the dean of the school, to the entire school, and the promotions committee, which was going to rubber stamp, kicking me out or asking me to withdraw. And he appealed uh, that decision. And then he fought for me. And there was something about feeling useless, worthless, having someone see a future for you that you couldn't see, see value in you that you couldn't feel, and someone going to bat for you against, and you know, he, was, he was an instructor in anatomy, and he was nothing in the pecking order. And it just changed everything. So I've been paying it forward ever since. So I was a suicide expert for about 15, 20 years after I... Uh, I took that leave of absence and then I came back and I became a psychiatrist and I've been paying it forward as best I can and I'm thrilled because that's why I'm going out in the world and I'm going to try and pay it forward and 
coach, inspire other people to do this in their in their lives. So, so that may also explain why I look out of the world the way I do. And so, Dr. G, uh, some of the words that came up or kept bubbling up were kindness, empathy, tenderness, safety. Do you feel that that goes, are those common themes of um, perhaps things that were lacking in the lives of those who uh, commit mass shootings? Is it, is it the, is the psychograph someone that did not have those things in their childhood or in their life? Is that what you're seeing and that's what you're tracking? I think that's what's happening. And, and to be honest, I think what happens is, you know, when you go, you know, uh, sort of reptile. So I'm also, you know, I'm also someone who's interested in neuroscience. And so reptile is fight or flight, pleasure, pain, and uh, and I think what happens is the greater the mass shooting, I think the greater the internal outrage and, and being enraged. And so I sent you guys a blog that I wrote that uh, we can try and stop things, and we and whether that means gun control or not, we can try and do that and educate people. But uh, I'm also, you know. A medical doctor. Uh, I also studied sciences, and there's something called, if you ever took a chemistry course, there's something called the rate limiting step. And the rate limiting step is something that, in a chemical reaction, that once that happens, the rest of the reaction just takes off. And so, going back to what you were saying, I think when you're a child and you feel frustrated, afraid, uh, uh, overwhelmed. Um, uh, Depending on how the world intervenes, uh, that could change that rate limiting step. So when you, George, were feeling uh, dumb in that class, like you couldn't do it, and if instead of your mom stepping in like the dean of students stepped in for me and was steadfast and took action on your behalf, if instead she shamed you, if instead she said, you know, you're, you're a loser, if instead she uh, uh, said, I don't know what's wrong with you. Uh, and, and you can understand how fear and hurt and feeling inadequate and feeling cornered, uh, you could see how that can start to turn around uh, the way you feel. And that it could, and then and instead of that hurt staying hurt, it could, it could cross over into rage. Now, something that we know about the... Uh, uh, the shooter is that he had a father and apparently was a, a psychopath. He was a bank, bank robber. He was in the FBI's most wanted list. So it's clear that he didn't get particularly great role modeling from his uh, uh, from his father. And um, also, uh, he was so meticulous about how he planned things out. Um, something else that I've put out into the internet, because I, I, I have a lot of Twitter followers, and I love putting out surveys. And I put out a survey after that and said, how many of you know people who have secret lives inside that they never share with anyone? A secret part of their personality. And 80% of people said yes. Wow. And then I, and then I said, how many of you know, and that shouldn't be surprising, everybody has some secret. And then I said, how many of you know people who have sort of an obsessive quality to their personality that, that they are almost helpless to stop, and basically they give in to it? And I think about the same amount said they knew people like that. So when you think that this guy was very meticulous and obsessive 
you can think of people that you know who are obsessive uh, about, about things. You may know some people who are clean freaks. You may know some people who are exercise freaks. And every time you try to break into their routine, they get a tad upset. So we're not really finding out uh, you know, that he was a terrorist or all kinds of things. He didn't have a criminal background. Uh, something I also put out, and I have no evidence for this, but I'll just put it out there anyway. So being a psychiatrist, you know, I've seen all kinds of things from uh, personality disorders to depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, to psychosis, to hallucinations and things like that. Something I was wondering is there's something in psychiatry called command hallucinations. Command hallucinations are often usually auditory hallucinations where you actually hear a voice telling you to do something. And you follow it. I mean, you don't know where it's coming from, but it's in your head telling you to do something. And so if you can see if you combined, uh, let's say someone is having something like that, and you keep it to yourself, plus you mix it with someone who is very obsessive and compulsive, because uh, it sounded like, if it's true, his, uh, his girlfriend really didn't know what was going on. He was so meticulous that he sent her away because he didn't want her interfering with his plot. So I'm just throwing that out as some sort of possibility. You know, not to excuse his behavior, but possibly to explain it. Uh, and, uh, and also, if we go back to the surveys I've sent out, uh, about people who have private uh, secrets. There's a lot of people who have secret thoughts, you know, ranging from not so bad to pretty bad that they keep to themselves. So I'm, so I'm just throwing this out into the mix of uh, how to explain this. But again, I think what it goes back to is when you're young, if you have someone like your mom who steps in there, uh, or like Dean McNary, who stepped into my life, uh, and they and they just do something so kind, protective, and active, meaning it's not just sympathetic words, they take charge when you don't feel you can take charge of anything. And compare that to someone who steps in and rubs your nose in it. So is any, is any of this making any sense to you, George? I, I, it's, 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 it's all 100%. Well, yes, a, a lot of it is certainly resonating. Um, and, you know, I think that we all have thoughts about, you know, like Centauri's pissing me off. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to punch him right in the face. But I, I don't because I have, I have impulse control. And so this gentleman, he was 64, 65 years old or whatever, and he's gone his whole life being able to keep this under control, at least nothing at a very large scale. Um, do you have thoughts on, on why it is it took him so long to have violence manifest itself? And then I'm also curious as to, to why it's, it's, it's men and maybe even why it's, 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 it's white men um, who engage in this extreme behavior. Well, one of the things that fuels um, fuels frustration, anger, outrage, enraged violence is something that I call impotent rage. It's the rage of powerlessness. Uh, 
And, you know, part of, I don't want to get into a political discussion, but part of what Donald Trump has tapped into in his base is there's a huge number, especially of uh, white people, white male, who feel pretty powerless in the world right now. They feel that, uh, that the 1% uh, uh, are controlling it. They feel uh, that the haves are rubbing their face and being have-nots. Uh, rightly or wrongly, they feel that the world has tilted to be too, uh, too much in favor of women and uh, African-Americans, is turning too liberal. And so you can see that when people have a rage of powerlessness, that it, uh, it can uh, come out in violence. Now people might say, but this guy, it sounds like he did have a lot of money. I mean, if it's true, it's not like he was powerless. So what was going on? Well, again, a lot of it, you know, a powerlessness you can feel uh, separate from money. It can just be sort of a sense of powerlessness. Let's throw into the mix also, he was a gambler. And gamblers are uh, kind of adrenaline junkies. And in fact, uh, uh, to throw in a, a kitchen sink, you know, part of the reason people like Harvey Weinstein act up is that there's a number of people when they feel a sense of power, become adrenaline junkies. And so what happens is they do whatever they can to hold on to the adrenaline rush. Uh, so early on in their life, you know, they may not have been that powerful, but once you get the feeling of power, uh, what's the saying? Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, but absolute power is addictive. And so what happens is that uh, when you feel that absolute power and anything thwarts it, it's like uh, you, you go from the adrenaline rush to an adrenaline crash and you will do anything to get the adrenaline rush back. And, and one of the things that increases adrenaline is extreme danger. You know, the more dangerous, the more the adrenaline, the more the adrenaline, the more you can stay focused. The more you go into an adrenaline crash, if you're kind of addicted to it, the more listless, sullen, irritable you get, you're unfocused. And so what happens, you'll do whatever it takes to get that adrenaline rush back. Does that make any sense to you? Mm -hmm. It does. But that, would, would you qualify that as mental illness? Um, Mental illness means the, uh, and you might say, geez, looks like we're all mentally ill. It, it means the inability to really perceive reality as reality. So mental illness is really, uh, and it could be from depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, personality disorders. What happens is you distort the way you look at reality. So you have a distorted perception, and, and then whatever that perception is, that's what leads to the way you then think, the conclusions you come to, and the actions you take. So I think there's a gradation, you know, in terms of what's mentally healthy and mentally ill, um, and if we use that definition as a criteria, you know, it seems like most people have kind of a distortion of reality. They're not really seeing it clearly. They're taking things personally that aren't meant personally. 
and uh, when, when they take them personally, uh, they react. So, uh, you know, rather than getting into a percentage, I, I think there's a continuum. And to go with some of my blanket statements, you know, as I look out in the world, I see, you know, the, the world, everybody in the world needs a reality check. I mean, they need to pause when they're reacting and say to themselves, um, am I seeing this clearly? Am I imagining this? What's my evidence for the way I'm thinking? And fewer people are doing that. Yeah, I assume that people that are isolated sort of go down their own rabbit hole, if you will, and they're in their own echo chamber and they just keep going deeper and deeper into it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, there's a saying, when you're in your own head, you're in enemy territory. <laughs> yeah, it is important. I'll tell you something. This is, this is the... This is the criteria, this is one criteria, I think, for the most mentally sane you can be. And you can tell me how many people you know that do this. Uh, I think if, if before you act, uh, you think of the outcome that you want from the action, and then you pause and ask yourself, is what I'm about to do likely to get that outcome? That's probably as mentally healthy as you can be. So whether it's any interaction, whether it's a, uh, you're going out and pitching something, whether you're hoping people will buy something, whether you're hoping your subordinates will follow your uh, directives, uh, if you can pause and say, what is the outcome that I want from this? What's a positive outcome? What am I about to do? And what's the likelihood that that will lead to a positive outcome? That one thing that a friend of mine says to his wife, he says, <laughs> I said, you, you have to work on your timing and your tone because, you know, it's not infrequent that people get into arguments in their, in their relationship. And something that he'll say to his wife is he'll pause and you, and you have to, you have to remove every scintilla of being condescending from what I'm about to say. But if you can say to the other person, what do you want the result of this conversation to be? Have them say what it is, and then say back to them, do you actually feel that the way you're approaching me is going to get you that? <laughs> and, you're, and you're laughing because what you're thinking is, I don't care what kind of tone I get, I'm going to sleep in the dead man. <laughs> you're 100% uh, you're correct on that one, doctor. I, 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 I totally agree with you, and, and, and all kidding aside, I do believe that a lot of the national discourse going on right now, no matter what, what it might be, fails to really ask itself that question of what is the desired outcome of this conversation? What are you really hoping to accomplish here? And that's absolutely true. In fact, I'm getting a lot of press in Russia for my... Uh, it's amazing. Uh, uh, I was about to abandon giving talks on listening. Even though my book did very well, it's in 18 languages. Uh, and, uh, and then what happened is this event planning company that brings over top authors said, you know, your book on listening is a bestseller here. Would you come over and do a training for us? 
and uh, I was about to abandon it in America because I think Americans are amongst the worst listeners and amongst the least curious people, which which greatly distresses me and embarrasses me because it's uh, there, there doesn't seem to be a curious curiosity other than uh, what's this going to get me? Right. Well, how'd you like to become more intelligent? Nah, 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 you know, uh, yeah, you know, I believe in ROI, uh, return on, uh, you know, investment, not return on intelligence. I don't do intelligence. What's it going to get me? And, uh, and so I, uh, and it's interesting because I'm getting all this uh, press in Russia. If, if you look up the Russian spelling of my name, it's just crazy. It's on the front page of their biggest business newspaper about three weeks ago with two pictures. Um, but one thing that could get me in hot water, or worse, a gulag, is something that I suggested, because someone, someone said, how, would, how should Trump approach North Korea? And this is in one of the interviews, and I said, well, if Trump could do the following, it would, uh, and which he would never do, uh, it could turn around the North Korean problem. And it's what I call the power of an unsolicited apology. Uh, and what it would look like is if he were to reach out, or someone, a leader, would reach out to Kim Jong-un and say, um, uh, well, you can apply this in your life, he's not going to do it. But what it would look like is if he reached out and said, I would like to have a conversation with you for not more than 20 minutes because I think I owe you an apology. Now, you can reach out to anyone in your life, George, with that, and they're going to be intrigued because almost nobody receives an unsolicited apology. True. And then, and, and then, so think of someone you could apply this to. And then, and then if the next thing he would say is, wouldn't you agree that we look at this situation completely different? That person's going to say yes. And the next thing you apologize for is you say, I want to apologize for not making any effort or trying at all to understand how you came to think the way you do and came to the conclusions that you've come to which are driving your actions. I want to apologize for not making that effort. And then what makes it even more uh, compelling is to say, I want to apologize for not even caring about what you thought. All I cared about was what I thought. And that's not going to help our relationship. So if you would do me the favor of telling me exactly what led up to you thinking how you think, and why uh, you're acting the way you feel you need to, I promise to not interrupt. I promise to listen. I promise to try to understand. You can try that with people. It's a game changer. I think that that very much would be. And I'm just trying to wrap my head around how people that are listening can be proactive in if they have somebody in their life, let's just assume that somebody that I work with is appearing to be extremely frustrated and we're emailing back and forth and it's very tense. We're arguing about something. And if I were to say to them, 
Hey, Centauri, I, I, I really want to apologize for not looking at this situation from your perspective. Would you do me the favor of sharing with me how you think that we could be addressing it? That would probably go a long way. But you missed the critical step in there. Okay. So you'd say to Zantari, uh, and so maybe these are the takeaway tips, you know, which you might give people. So if people are listening and there's someone you have a, uh, a relationship with and it's not going well, uh, what you might do is you reach out to them. And the way I would do it is uh, send them a text and you want to pique their curiosity and say, uh, uh, Hi, this is so-and-so. Uh, let me know when you have five, ten minutes max uh, when I can speak to you because I've discovered I owe you an apology. Mm-hmm. So you send that out. That's, that's going to pique their interest because no one does that. And you want them to be pique their interest. They're going to be intrigued. And so you set up the time. And then, and then what you say is uh, you say to them, uh, would you agree that we see things differently on this particular issue? Pick the worst issue between you. And they'll agree. So you're starting to get a yes in the conversation. Then the next thing you say, um, well, I want to apologize for not making the effort or taking the time to find out how you came to see it that way. And they're going to be listening. But the real clincher is when you start to bare your neck and show some humility and even embarrassment. Say, and furthermore, I want to apologize for not even caring about how you thought about it. I didn't give a darn how you thought about it. I was only concerned with my agenda. And that was rude, crude, and why the heck should you agree with me when I had such a jerk point of view and then and then you say and if you let me and you'll tell me how you came to think about what you think about and your conclusions I promise that I, I may not agree with them but I will listen completely until I understand them. but the clincher is that I didn't even care enough to uh, even make the effort because often what is frustrating other people is not so much that you didn't do something, it's that you didn't care enough to make the effort. You should Does that do. Make sense to you? You, uh, you, you really had to do this professionally, doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I had to do this internationally. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, I think that that's that's awesome advice right there, and I was. I was scribbling feverishly trying to get all that down. I will go back and, 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 and re-listen and write that down because I think that that, that, uh, that sequence of, of language would definitely diffuse most any situation. Yeah. So it is... And, 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 before, and before I leave, someday I had a show with you because I, I, uh, I love quotes, you know, and there were three quotes that... No one has ever been able to crack these top three for 25 years. But recently, someone did. And, and I write a syndicated column for business journals. And if you look up business journals, Goulston, G-O-U-L-S-T-O-N, I put all my IP out there in business journals. It goes to 43 cities. And, uh, and a recent one is uh, 
featuring a woman named Dr. Sean Duperon, and she has something called, I think, the Forgive Project. It was nominated for a Nobel Prize, and it's about forgiveness. And here's the killer quote, and I'll tell you why it's a killer. She said, forgiveness is accepting the apology you will never receive. Mm. Mm. That is a good one. That's a, that's a, and I'll tell you how it works. It's kind of like, and I did it kind of with my dad who died 22 years ago. He was an accountant type. And so if I got a 90, he could say, you can do better. Well, if you're a numbers person, if you got a 90, you get 100. But of course, you know, what I really wanted was someone to say, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Or, by the way, if you're, if, it's, if you're a parent, there's a huge difference between telling your kids who wants really you to think the world of them, telling them they can do better, which can make them think that what they did was crap, and, and saying to them, you know, you can do even better. Put the even in there. This is great, hmm. but you can do even better. Nice. Then they're not going to be offended. So in my mind, I didn't know I was practicing it, but you know, my father's been gone for 22 years, but he's been apologizing to me in my mind, saying, I thought you were great. You know, I'm a numbers guy. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of what you've accomplished. And, and I've actually, in my mind, been apologizing to him and saying, you know, I really, you know, I really apologize for having a chip on my shoulder button. And you know, I'm sorry about that. And when I do that, you know, I, I get a little emotional because these kinds of things are such a waste, you know, when people carry these misunderstandings. But that, that's, for people listening, you write that down. Forgiveness is accepting the apology you'll never receive. That's a game changer. That's excellent. That's really good. Where can people find out more about you and your work, Dr. G? Well, uh, I don't tweet as much as Donald Trump. But I do tweet. So uh, if you go to at Mark Golston, M-A-R-K-G-O-U-L-S-T-O-N, you can find me there. I have a Facebook page for Dr. Mark Golston. That's, I think that's, uh, uh, you'll see that. But I also have a web, uh, oh, actually, uh, and I have a website, markgolston.com. I have a consulting company called the Golston Group. But what I would love people to do, since we're doing a podcast here, is to visit my podcast. Maybe we should do an interview on that. I have something called Prison Letters with Dr. Mark Goldston. And that's at Stitcher and iTunes and I think FM, whatever that site is. But I've received over 150 letters from inmates based on my first book called Get Out of Your Own Way, Overcoming Self-Defeating Behavior. And that book found its way into prisons and jails, and I've gotten 150 letters in the last 22 years. It was published in 1996, and it's been in the top 10 self-help books at Amazon for 10 years. And these inmates write me, and in prison letters with Dr. Mark Goldston, I read a letter a week from an inmate, and then I just kind of uh, extemporaneously drill into the mind of this person, and I empathize with them. And I generalize it so it's issues that people who are listening to it can deal with in their life. Um, there was actually one uh, episode called Papa Can Hear Me, and it was about someone in prison who uh, was in there for burglary, and he said, when I read your book, Get Out of Your Own Way, and there was a, a chapter about parents, he said, I went back to my cell and I cried and cried and cried. 
And so as soon as I read that letter, I imagined myself being him, burglarizing a home, seeing a happy family with a smiling dad, and just ripping the whole place up. And so I just talked about that, you know, what must, what might be going on in his head. And then I actually talked about unfinished business with my dad. So they're kind of upfront and personal. So I uh, hope people will check them out, just like I hope they check out this podcast. Wonderful. Well, that is very cool. And we will list all these, um, all these places where they can find you in the notes of the show. Centauri, what else, what else, sir? No, that was great, Mark. Thanks for thanks for being on here. There's a lot of good nuggets that we can take, so I appreciate it. Well, look, I appreciate your uh, giving me a long leash because I because I, 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 I know I go in different directions, but I, but I hope scattered and there were some nuggets that some people could use. Yeah, we definitely appreciate your time, Doctor G. Thank you so much. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the show, leave us a review, tell a friend, feel free to give us a share on social media, and as always, keep questioning because the struggle is real.